All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be out with you all this morning and to be praising our God together and spending this time uh, together as brothers and sisters. Um, I wanted to share with everyone, we had a really good men's meeting yesterday. Um, everyone except for uh, Robin, who was a little bit under the weather, was uh, was able to be there, and obviously uh, a few other people who were kind of like currently out of town um, as well. But I think we had a really productive meeting and were able to um, work through some uh, important things regarding especially the logistics of the new space that we're moving into. Um, I shared the notes with uh, with the email list yesterday so uh, for, the, for the members so um, if you're if you didn't get that or, or would like to see something like that uh, just feel free to grab one of the members and we'd be happy to share some of those uh, those decisions that we were making with you. Um, one of the important <clears throat> more important things that we talked about yesterday um, that I really uh, appreciated the thought and intentionality that was put into was uh, the order of our worship in the in the new location. Um, anytime that you there's a, a period of transition or change, it's a good opportunity to uh, change things up and and uh, you know not not just for the sake of change, but how can we really be intentional about making sure that our worship is accomplishing the purpose uh, the purposes that we have uh, to be here today. Um, and as we kind of thought through that that process, um, obviously we we wanted to put a, a larger emphasis on the Lord's Supper, um, and you'll see that reflected in the proposed order of worship that we uh, that we decided on. We would like to spend some more time as a congregation, specifically reflecting on the Lord's Supper and singing songs uh, sur- uh, surrounding the Lord's Supper. I think that's an important way of spending our time. Um, actually, it's the reason why we're gathered together here today is to remember the Lord's death. Um, and as we kind of th- had that conversation and thought through uh, how we wanted to structure our worship around that, I had the thought, and, and I had already kind of been thinking about this a little bit before as well, but I had the thought about why are we doing the rest of what we're doing? So the, the purpose of our, our gathering together here today has already been accomplished, you know, five minutes ago when we partook of the Lord's Supper. So why don't we just all, you know, get up and, and leave? Like, wh- why are we <laughs> why are we still here? Um, I hope maybe it's to hear whatever I have to say, but um, but I think that there are, there are some really important purposes that surround the rest of our worship assembly as well. Um, there are some important things that we are gathered together here today to do. Um, and that's kind of what I want us to look at together this morning, is what is accomplished through our worship? What is accomplished through um, not just this, this gathering together that we have on Sundays, um, but what is accomplished through worship in general? Um, I want to be clear by what I mean about worship. Obviously, when we gather together like we do here, uh, like like we are right now on a Sunday, this is a time of worship. We call this a worship service. We we you know when we tell people what we're doing, we say we're going to worship. Um, but worship is not something that is exclusively limited to the hours of 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. or what whatever time your church might meet on a Sunday or on whatever day. Um, worship is more of a mindset. Worship is an attitude, um, something that we are supposed to be constantly expressing to God, something that we are supposed to be constantly reflecting in our thoughts and in our actions and in the things that we uh, do and participate in in our everyday lives. Um, so I just want to be very clear up front that when we talk about what is accomplished by our worship, I'm not just talking about uh why we're here this morning, uh, other than the partaking of the Lord's Supper. I think that worship, like I said, is, a, uh, is supposed to reflect an attitude that we have in our hearts. 
Um, and I think that if we can focus on that and remember that together, that's a powerful way to live before God. Um, that's a powerful way that we can live out uh, our faith. Um, I also want to say up front that the purpose of this lesson today is not a uh, how-to worship necessarily. Um, as I went through my thought process on this, I kind of realized uh, might have been helpful to have a preliminary, okay, how do we worship, and then what is then accomplished through that worship. Um, but we'll save that for a later time. Um, so I'll, I'll just assume that we're all on the same page about the logistics necessarily of, of how we worship. Um, and really rather focus on what is actually accomplished through worship. What is accomplished through this mindset of worship um, that we are uh, going to figure out today. Um, so I'll ask the question, what does our worship accomplish? What does the, the worship that we give to God accomplish? The first thing I want us to look at, and I think really the natural starting place, um, is with the object of our worship itself, and that's God. Um, turn over, if you will, with me to Psalm 100. Really, you could, you could look at any of the psalms that are recorded in the, um, in the book of Psalms, and you see a common theme of uh, praise. You see a common theme of the psalmist recognizing over and over again, and in all sorts of different ways of speech and different forms of poetry, saying over and over again how great and incredible God is. And they sincerely desire to give him the glory that he deserved. Um, this attitude that the psalmists have is actually reflected in the Hebrew word for worship. Um, I believe it's shacha or shaka, um, which literally means to prostrate or to give homage. Um, there's, a, there's a physical action that is associated with this idea of worship. It's bowing down, reverencing, uh, giving uh, ultimate glory and honor to, to someone or something. And obviously in the Psalms, the object of that worship is God, is the Lord himself. Um, let's, uh, let's examine one of the Psalms. Like I said, uh, we're open up to Psalm 100. I want to, to look, just look here at what specifically the psalmist prays and worship God for. Um, this is called a, a Psalm of Thanksgiving, and the subtitle in the, the version that I'm reading from actually says, All men exhorted to praise God. The psalmist in this psalm is trying to encourage everyone to praise God and to give him the glory that he is, that he is due. I'll read Psalm 100 for us. <clears throat> Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. <clears throat> we see here several proclamations of glory that the psalmist is trying to give to God. Um, from the very beginning, uh, in verse, uh, actually in verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord himself is God. The psalmist is trying to just proclaim a basic fact that the one that we are praising, he is the Lord. He is God. He is the one who has dominion. He is the one that deserves this worship as the Lord. Um, they also, he, the psalmist also mentions the idea of creation. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are, we are God's creation, and everything that we see around us is God's creation. And as the creator, as the, the source of life, 
God is due the praise and glory for that. We also see in uh, verse 5 where it says, The Lord is good. I think that sometimes we might overlook how uh, uh, basic of a proclamation this is, but how important it is as well. Um, The psalmist is saying here, God is good. He is not like the other gods of, of the world, the idols that would have been in this time or for our day and age, the, 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 you know, the gods that we worship uh, in, in this day and time. He is not something that is going to leave us feeling unsatisfied or leave us feeling alone or empty. He is a good God. And that's echoed in the next proclamation that's made at the end of that verse, that he has steadfast love and faithfulness to all generations. He has uh, loving kindness and faithfulness to everyone for all time. And he is continually offering that uh, as, and it is the source of that, that steadfast love. I think that maybe sometimes when we read these proclamations like we see here in the Psalms, we might just kind of overlook these and just kind of take them for granted and think, well, yeah, of course, like, he is God. He is good. His loving kindness endures forever. We know these things about God. But I think what is powerful about when we proclaim these things is that we are given a chance to to say these things to the rest of the world. Um, this isn't just something that we are supposed to accept for ourselves. This is something that we are supposed to be proclaiming to other people. Um, and this is, this is definitely a focus of our worship, is that proclamation of these uh, base, even just basic facts about who God is. I think about, uh, I think about our worship and how we can better do this both collectively and individually. When we gather together on a Sunday, where is our focus? Is our focus on the God that we just read about in this psalm? Or is our focus, you know, maybe somewhere else? Um, or maybe on, you know, a different part of uh, the, the service or, or whatever, maybe not even in a, in a bad place. Our focus when we are worshiping should be entirely on God and should be focused on giving this God that we read about here the glory that he is due. Because we're not just proclaiming this to ourselves. We're not just accepting these facts in our own hearts. This is something that we are responsible for proclaiming to the rest of the world. That's what the psalmist is trying to do here. He's trying to exhort all men to praise God. And that's what we are trying to do as well. Um, and this is the God that we, uh, that we have to praise and to exhort. I think the same thing is true in our individual lives. Um, when we leave this assembly of worship, we have the same responsibility. In our everyday conversations and in our everyday interactions with people and in the actions that we take, does that reflect the God that we read about here? I think so often <clears throat> we either just get distracted by the life that we live or uh, we don't want to recognize the integral role that this God plays in our lives. Um, but when we live lives that are led by, <clears throat> excuse me, when we live lives that are led by this God and that are defined by this God, that's going to show in our actions and that's going to show in the words we say and in the conversations that we have with people. If this is the way that we feel about God, then that needs to be reflected in our individual lives and everyday conversations and the, the things and, uh, and ideas that we do. The next idea that I want us to look at about what is accomplished through our worship um, kind of goes beyond ourselves. So uh, what what I've you know just mentioned is something that is really an individual responsibility. We are individually responsible for proclaiming God uh, to the world, both 
here in this assembly and also in our individual lives. Um, but worship is not strictly just accomplishing this act of proclamation. Something is being accomplished among God's people at the same time. Um, if you will turn over to Colossians chapter 3. I had Kelly read this earlier, but I'm going to uh, just read it again for us. Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 12 through 17. I think this shows some of what is being accomplished mutually among each other as we worship uh, together. In Colossians uh, chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father, to God the Father. Here we see Paul encouraging these Colossian brethren about how they should treat each other. He begins the section by listing <clears throat> ideas that we've all heard about before. Uh, forgiving one another, being kind and tender-hearted, uh, gentle and patient, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. All these ideas that we know we are responsible for towards each other in, in, a, in a body like this, in a body of uh, believers. He talks about putting on love um, and, and having this perfect bond of unity with each other. But I think a key action item that Paul lists here that maybe sometimes we overlook or don't uh, think of quite as much is that we are to teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are to worship. Thank you. <clears throat> we are to, to truly lift each other up and edify each other through this worship that we are doing. The beginning of verse 16 tells us what we're supposed to be admonishing one another about. And that is the word of Christ. It says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As much as our worship proclaims uh, God's glory to the rest of the world, our worship is also responsible for teaching and admonishing one another. Um, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to bring each other up in this and not just uh, be proclaiming this out to the world. This is something that we're supposed to edify each other in and truly lift each other up towards. I think this is also the opposite of the attitude that a lot of people take towards worship most of the time. You hear people talk about going to worship and you hear them talk about what they're going to receive, you know, the feeling that they're going to get in their heart or, you know, oh, you know, who, who's going to talk to me or who's going to encourage or uplift me? Obviously, that's something that we should desire and expect from our worship. But I think at the same time, it is incumbent on us as Christians and as brothers and sisters in Christ in our worship together to uplift and edify one another. When we think about edification, what, what does that really mean? Um, what does it mean when we talk about building one another up? I think often in the epistles when Paul references what, uh, what he would call edification, it involves uh, a calling to remembrance or a maybe just a reminder of certain things that 
that he has either taught them before or that they already knew or maybe that someone else had taught them. But I think that that is the, <clears throat> that's the impetus that should be behind our edification as well. We're seeking to remind each other of the things of God. We're seeking to build each other up and help each other remember this is why we're here. This is what we're supposed to be doing. A few things that I think are important specifically to remind each other about in this worship and in this edification, uh, as it's listed here in Colossians chapter 3, the words of Christ. We're supposed to remind each other about the things that we've, that we've read about Christ in the Gospels and about who Christ is. You think about the, the um, theme that we have for this year being built on the foundation. That's what this is all about, is we're seeking to remind each other of what our foundation is, and that is these words of Christ. I think the, uh, the verse 17 echoes uh, the, uh, another thing that we're supposed to remind each other of when it says that we are whatever we do in word or deed to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. When we, when we see that, I think it means we're supposed to remind each other of our all-in commitment to Christ. This isn't just something that we, that we do as a, as a pastime or as a social gathering. If we are here gathered together to, to worship and to mutually edify one another, we need to be reminding each other of the serious nature of the commitment and of the all-in nature of this commitment that we've made to Christ. Um, turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to look at a couple other things that I think we should focus on edifying each other about. And I'll just briefly read a verse here and then a verse in Romans. Um, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, it reads, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. I think that another thing we are supposed to remind and edify each other about is both gratitude and reverence for the coming judgment. We need to be reminding each other that this world is not our home, that there is something else out there. Um, there's, there's something greater that is in store for us. That is, that is a key reminder that we need to be giving each other. And I think that is definitely accomplished through, uh, needs to be accomplished through our worship. Finally, look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to read verses uh, 15 and 16. Romans 15, 15 and 16 says, But I have written very boldly to you <clears throat> on some points as so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I think we're also responsible to remind each other of our mission as ministers of the gospel. We're in this together. We're in this, uh, this battle and this fight and this mission to spread the word of the gospel together. And I think through our worship and through the, the reverence that we have towards God, we need to remind each other of those things. We need to uplift and edify each other towards that together. So I'll ask the same question that I did uh, after my first point. How can we better do this in our worship, both collectively and individually? I think that when we gather together on a Sunday, we need to be focused about, we need to be focused, number one, on God, obviously, as, as I mentioned before, and praising him and giving him the glory that he is due. But secondly, I think we need to be focused on how can we uplift and edify each other? What is the best way that we can remind each other of these things that I've just listed? Remind each other of who Christ is. Remind each other of the the responsibility and the commitment that we have made to follow Christ. Remind each other of the mission that we, that we are accomplishing. 
Um, I think a lot of times we think about our songs when it comes to this reminder, uh, or at least I do. There's a lot of songs that talk about uh, the nature of our commitment or reminding us of the words of Christ or reminding us of the mission that we are on here. Um, And I obviously think that that is an important part of our worship and something that is uh, good for us to do and, and, and accomplishes that purpose. But I think it's also accomplished through the conversations that we have with one another. It's accomplished through the relationships that we are making. Me asking Josh or Tim or whoever about what's going on in their life and how I can help them, uh, help better remind them about these things. If we're not having those conversations, if we're not reaching out to each other and seeking to talk about these things and, and remind and exhort one another to be more built up in these ways, then I think we're missing the point. Um, and that obviously, as we all know, doesn't just have to happen here in this setting on Sunday. I think that throughout the week, as we have the chance, we live in a day and age where we have instant communication, instant access to each other at all times. Uh, I think it's important that we reach out and edify and uplift one another. And that's a way that we can worship, is by doing that, is by accomplishing that mutual edification. Finally, I want us to look at one more uh, one more thing that is accomplished through our worship. And if you will turn over to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read the end of this chapter and then the beginning of Romans chapter 12 in just a moment. We've looked at two purposes of our worship so far, uh, both proclaiming God's glory and mutually edifying our brethren. But I think there is one more thing that's accomplished through our worship, and and this is, again, brought down to more of an individual level. Um, In Romans chapter 11, in in the verses preceding verse 33, we're only going to read verses 33 through 36, Paul is basically describing how incredible and amazing it is that God has provided a redeemer for Israel. God has provided a source of salvation um, that was promised for so long. And he ends this section with praise or with worship to God. Um, I'm going to read verses, uh, verses 33 through 36 of Romans chapter 11. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is a great example of what true God-focused worship looks like. Paul is exalting God's wisdom, his judgments, his, his knowledge. He goes back and quotes from some sections in Isaiah and Job to further emphasize the, the point that he's trying to make here. But Paul doesn't stop there. He, he, he praises God in this beautiful and eloquent way here at the end of chapter 11. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in chapter 12 uh, and begins chapter 12 with a therefore statement, which we, know we, which we know brings us back to the things that he's talking about in chapter 11. Read with me verses, uh, verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, what he's just talked about in the chapter before this, the mercies of God, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Paul goes on in chapter 12 to make an application to the lives of these believers based on the things that he has just proclaimed about God in chapter 11. The first thing that we see here is that because of these mercies of God, our worship has to involve a complete sacrifice of self. As much as God has accomplished through Jesus, we are then responsible for also making a sacrifice of ourselves. And this is what this is what true worship looks like. It, it says here is, uh, is bec- presenting your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. We can't bring to God that which costs us nothing. We can't bring to God something that is uh, just our leftover or something that is less than what he is demanding here. God is demanding a full and complete sacrifice of ourselves. And this is the ultimate worship. This is the, this ultimate spiritual service of worship. This is also, I think it's important to note, a voluntary choice on our part. This is not something that has to, that God is going to force us to do or God is going to uh, force upon us because he, he, he could if he wanted to. It says that we choose to present ourselves or to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. We choose to bring this kind of worship before God. And what is the result or what is accomplished by this ultimate self-sacrificial worship that we're commanded to do here? I think we see something really amazing and something I hadn't really noticed before in verse, verse 2. And that is that by this worship, by this sacrifice we are accomplishing a transformation, this transformation and renewal process that is talked about in verse 2, where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is said in opposition here in this verse to being conformed to the world. Uh, we, we are at, as, as we worship, we are supposed to begin to be transformed, begin to be renewed, begin to look less and less like the world, and more and more like the God that we are worshiping. Doesn't this picture just make sense to you? I mean, think about uh, think about anything that we might hold in high regard or worship or maybe even sacrifice a lot of ourselves to uh, in in our lives. I've kind of been mindful of this in my in my own life lately. I've been joking around with Blake. I started working a new job this week at a consulting firm, and now I'm really worried that I'm going to start talking like a consultant and looking like a consultant. And I'm wearing a vest today, which is kind of the the <laughs> uniform of a consultant. So not not off to a good start. But but anything that you sacrifice a lot of yourself or your time or you hold in high regard, like a job or like a sports team or like some celebrity or figure, oftentimes I think we begin to in our admiration of that thing, we begin to be changed. We begin to be renewed and transformed and made into something different. That's almost just the natural progression of worship or of uh, holding something in high regard like these things. Um, The same exact thing is true for our worship to God. The more that we glorify and hold him in the highest regard, which is what he is due, and make sacrifices of ourselves through that worship, the more and more that we're going to begin to look more like God and less like the world. Honestly, it's really a beautiful picture if you think about it. As we together are worshiping God and are giving him the praise that he is due and are uplifting and edifying one another, what is, this isn't just something that uh, is a sacrifice that involves us dying. This is a sacrifice that involves us dying and being remade and transformed into something new and greater. And as we praise and worship God together, that's what's being accomplished. 
is that we, both collectively and individually, are being made to look more like the God that we are worshiping. It's really an amazing picture if you think about it. And it's, I think, something that should motivate us and inspire us and help drive this attitude of worship that we're supposed to have in our everyday lives. I think that, I think that the application for this point just speaks to itself. Um, this is something that as both in our, in our collective worship and in our individual lives, if we have this attitude of sacrificing ourselves, giving ourselves up completely and wholly in worship to God, we're going to receive and experience this renewal, this transformation that God is offering here. Because it's really just the natural, uh, the, the next natural step, step in that process. So I do think it's important to ask ourselves, what is being accomplished through our worship? Why, why else would we be gathered together here today if there was not a, a purpose behind what we're doing right now? I hope that the words that I've spoken this morning have helped accomplish the second purpose that I mentioned, or the, the second thing to be accomplished that I mentioned of mutual edification. Um, that's, that's, that's a big part of what these lessons and our, our Bible classes and any other things that we, studies we do throughout the week are supposed to accomplish is reminding each other of that, uh, the words of Christ, reminding each other of these things uh, and of these concepts about God. Um, but I think it's good to ask ourselves and, and be serious about, uh, about this when we think about it. Is our worship defined by the things that we've talked about this morning? Is our worship focused on proclaiming God's glory? Is our worship focused on edifying and mutually building up one another? And is our worship accomplishing the ultimate goal of being transformed and looking more like God in the end? If our collective worship doesn't reflect this, if the worship that we do here as a group doesn't reflect this, I hope that someone would be willing to say something. That was a really uh, good thing about our men's meeting yesterday was that we had the chance to kind of sit down and examine and think about, okay, what is, what is helpful and what is maybe up, needing change about our collective worship? How can we make this an, a, a time that is the most edifying and is the most glorifying to God? Um, and if there are things that you think we could do better or observations that you've had, I hope that you would, you would speak up and be willing to say that. Because these are the reasons why we're here. Uh, outside of the, the remembrance of the Lord's Supper, this is why we're here this morning, is to accomplish these things together. Um, for those who aren't in Christ, um, this, this lesson might be a little bit uh, out of your purview, maybe, because I think before you are in Christ, before you've made the decision to follow Christ, it's hard to, to even know what this worship looks like. Um, it's hard to worship someone that you're um, not you know, committed to following. Um, and, and beyond that, you don't yet have access to the great transformative power that is talked about in Romans chapter 12. Um, until you've made that decision to follow Christ, until you've made that decision to turn your life over to him, uh, you don't yet have access to that ability to be transformed. Um, I think anyone here could, could tell you it's not an easy path. Um, it's not always something that is an easy road. But, uh, and, and sacrifice is going to be required. We read about that this morning. But the God that we are here gathered together to worship and glorify this morning is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of the ultimate self-sacrifice on all of our parts. And I hope that together, uh, both as a, as a body of believers and individually, that we will be able to live out these purposes of worship in our everyday lives. 
Uh, we'll sing a song of encouragement. Um, if there's anyone that needs to talk to anyone, feel free to grab us uh, afterwards.